0: Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nicholas Repold and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. It's been a while since we did a new episode in our Film Comment at Home series. Let me assure you that's not because we've stopped watching movies or even left the house for that matter. So, I got together again with my colleagues to talk about the latest selection of home viewing that's been occupying our pandemicized brains. We discussed the shock of the present moment and how it's been changing, and then we talked about movies spanning cinema verite and what used to be called cyberspace, as well as a fair share of movies with animals on screen. I was joined by all-star film comment editorial colleagues, Clinton Crute, our digital editor, and Devika Girish. Our assistant editor. To our Film Comment subscribers, thank you for joining us for this installment in our Film Comment at Home podcast series. Please note that, as previously announced, Film Comment will be going on temporary hiatus. While we will be taking a pause, we still have plenty of film criticism to offer up during this time. The May June digital issue will be published at the beginning of May, and we can encourage you to continue to access our extensive catalog of current and archival features, reviews, and interviews. All available for free on filmcomment.com. Stay safe, everyone. Let's go now to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. This is another in our series of the Film Film Comment Podcast at home. We haven't done one in a while. That is why people are laughing at me in the background. Because I've forgotten the name of the
1: podcast.
0: (laughs) The name of the podcast. It's been so long. But we're very glad to be back to talk about what we've been seeing to distract ourselves from the ongoing apocalypse. And to do that, I... Have I introduced myself? I don't think I have. Have I? Did I? At the beginning? No, no, no. Who I even did... are you? I'm sorry. Let me introduce myself. I'm Nicholas Rippold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment Magazine, a delightful journal about movies. And I'm here joined by my all-star team, who are absolutely invaluable.
2: I'm David Gadeesh, and I'm the assistant editor at Film Comment.
1: Clinton Crute. I'm the digital editor here at Film Comment magazine. Indeed.
0: And we've we've been um, logging some long hours. Uh, That might be why we're a bit punchy. Um, We've been working on our May-June issue, which we're very excited to present to you. And there'll be loads of goodies in there. I can't give any of it away. That would take away the surprise. But lots of articles about, you know, new films, old films, discoveries.
2: Suspended films.
0: Suspended films. It makes it sound like the films were in school and they threw a paper airplane or something and then they were suspended. But um, plenty to read about and uh, plenty to reflect on in this strange time when we're all... uh, Disconnected. Can't go to the movie theaters. Um, I don't know about you, but extremely uh, depressed by the. Uh, <laughs> I want to start this right depressed, by the ongoing by the ongoing collapse of civilization. How are we coping? I always like to begin these at home podcasts by just asking how people are just generally generally coping. Uh,
1: I mean, I my I have a headache. <laughs> my eyes hurt. My feet hurt. Cool. I'm afraid. Um... I'm afraid. <laughs> no, I. I am hope. I'm coping pretty good. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like Nick's having some troubles. though. Well,
0: <laughs> it's just I. You know, it's not. It's, I. 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 Finding it very hard to you know normalize and any of it or adapt. You just can't to,
1: normalize it. It's it's abnormal. Yeah.
0: Yes, it is. It is.
2: Yeah, and I've just been kind of reflecting on how rapidly everything has happened. Mm. um you know just less than a month ago things felt very different it all felt like short-term measures I was making certain plans you know that have just been rendered like totally impossible now um I don't know I mean we we all started working at home thinking it would be three weeks and then five weeks and it's the the uncertainty of it all is like simultaneously numbing and extremely anxiety inducing you know it's, what i mean
1: yeah it's like shocking to rec- to realize that it's been what f- i don't even know 5 6 weeks since um since at least since shut down yeah, since we shut down yeah um just- it seems like a much shorter period somehow because i guess because my time has been so occupied by looking at the news so much and just kind of being right. involved in what's happening in the world. I mean, not involved, but uh, following what's happening in the world in a really intense way.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and uncertainty is, is yeah, the kind of prevailing, uh, I don't know if it's an emotion, but just, just feeling and maybe a different kind of uncertainty. I guess there's a certain shock that has gone a little just to the sense of, I feel like there really was a kind of shock and trauma just at the initial weeks and, And now there's some kind of routine. It's still pretty awful, but uh, it's, you know, everyone learns to adapt. So I guess that's, that's happened to us to a certain extent, but how do you really adapt in the longer term is up in the air. Uh, I mean, I don't know how this has changed your viewing habits, but I don't know that I've gotten much better at being able to like, you know, knock off one movie after, after another. I still find my mind pretty, pretty occupied um by the world at large. But you know, I, I have seen a few things. I, I think I don't know who wants to start, but I, I'm happy to start with because I, I just saw Salesman, um the Al Mazels and, and David Mazels and Charlotte Zwerin movie. Um which is you know it has to be said like not not really the most upbeat <laughs> movie. Mm-hmm. But in a way because it's a movie about just the relentlessness of routine and and also that routine being closely bound up with a feeling of fighting for survival. Um, it's, um, it's always a movie that, uh, you know, you really, really gets under your skin. Um, and just in case anyone hasn't seen it, it's, uh, kind of a classic verite documentary. Um, I mean pretty much like exemplary of, of, of the form. Um, I mean, it's a Bible salesman uh, in the, in, I want to say like the Northeast, although they also go to Florida um, and they really are hawking this something like forty nine ninety five deluxe illustrated Bible to families that often don't have the time, uh, the money, um, sometimes the interest. Um, and it's, it's just sort of one after another going to the doors door to door and you know sometimes just them shooting the shit in their hotel room and talking about how they didn't make sales I actually thought about Glenn Gary Glenn Ross at a moment and became convinced that mm. David Mamet must have seen this movie and wanted to somehow bring it up to date I guess there's there's a number of like salesman epics obviously death of a salesman coming before this but um,
1: but does he sell much he's not they don't show him in the act of selling much no of salesman, do they? but
0: just that it's his his kind of just the 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 profundity of his feeling of failure and insufficiency. Oh, right. Um mm. that, you know, when you do not sell, you you, you know, in some way have not proven yourself. You 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 have not shown value, you you have not proven your value and right. as a breadwinner. And and I guess the chief kind of sales the kind of protagonist not the protagonist, but like main figure that they follow in salesman is Mr. Brennan, um who's yeah, again, I think of like Glenn Garga Ross a little, but he's you know, he's he's kind of he seems to be reaching the end of the line. He's just not, not moving the not moving the good book, and you know around him people are. You know when he meets in the hotel room that you know people ask how was your day, and he's like ah, I couldn't sell anything. I couldn't sell anything, and for a while he's you know telling jokes and often in an Irish brogue that he's, he he puts on just from 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 growing up. Uh, he Kind of makes a joke about his childhood, and it's 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 tough to watch, but it's it's. That's just that, yeah, that feeling of someone every single day they have to fight for their survival and, and the movie's often portrayed like it's some sort of artifact of the past and that oh this world doesn't exist anymore but I mean in a basic way it I mean it, it very much does it's just it's not I mean, a Bible. I was just
2: thinking it's sort of like um, you know like a proto portrait of the gig economy almost or, or the alienation of um, doing like gig work
0: Sure. I mean, having to be kind of self-sufficient and, and and pay your own way, kind of make your own way. I mean, this one, it, it comes, It's I mean, being part of another world, like they do have these scenes where they have these, their company has these kind of meetings almost, they almost feel like conventions where people get together and they stand up and say how much they want to sell that year or um, and how much better they're going to do. So there is kind of the company man kind of aspect um, yeah. to it.
1: I'm thinking of uh, Wolf of Wall Street, actually, and how hmm. it was always sort of. I mean, I think obviously the, char- you know, the characters from Wolf of Wall Street would be very uh, disappointed in the, in the salesman from Salesman. But I think that that like attitude, that, as a time capsule, how that attitude of uh, hustling kind of has become a very uh, important part of all aspects of commercial life. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, I it's maybe not like the perfect comparison, but it also brings to mind American Factory, which is from last year. Well, no,
0: with it, I mean, American Factory, it is interesting because, you know, both these movies are really bound up in what is the American way of life, you know, and like what is, and, and it's interesting because it's like, well, it's sort of the American way of life as long as it's successful. And then right, the flip right. side of that is recognizing that part of the American way of life is having just I just this this operatic awful feeling of losing and loss um you know uh that like Brennan this whole movie I mean the whole of the salesman you're just it's like watching someone bleed to death for 90 minutes um and you're so close to them too you can't escape it like you have this these close-ups because um L. who operates the camera is just preternaturally whisker sensitive to like you know, any moment where it, the shift in the energy in the room, and when things are happening, um that there's there's really no escape. And yet, I guess I, I have to say, it doesn't feel like a, always a totally hopeless film, just because these guys have this never say die quality to a certain extent. But I don't know. That was that was salesman. That I thought us start us off on an upbeat note. I mean, it's of, also, the filmmaking was great.
1: <laughs> I always find it interesting that they're selling Bibles too, and the well, Bibles yeah. have to be like kind of souped up, right? <laughs> Extra special <laughs> Bibles. Yeah.
0: You know, he tries to sell the Bible by saying it's all up to date with the latest um, to to one of his clients. I don't know. But at the same time, there's just like a real sense of humor running through it that everyone needs to keep going. Um, But it's just kind of fascinating to watch them try whatever angle they can for each person, even for people who cannot afford it. They're just it just continues. But um, yeah, that was Salesman. Salesman, which I I, definitely movie I thought of when I was watching Uncut Gems as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good point. I'm sure that they were thinking of it too.
0: Yeah, and and it's also just like a salesman is something where, like ostensibly, they're very much in motion. Um, I mean, it's there's not a lot of like long like, you know, walking shots or something. But you have you know they're they're covering a lot of ground geographically.
1: Um, but also but, that uh, handheld camera kind of up in the face of the of people and kind of like just really like registering yeah like you were saying just sort of registering the inner life of these characters through like the minute changes in their facial expressions yeah and um, their body language
2: right and also the gentle kind of zoom zooming in and out and just kind of very gentle fluctuations
1: that reminds me of a movie that i have watched that i'd forgotten that i'd watched tale of cinema by hong sang su which was uh, you know was great uh, the gentle zoomings is what is what um reminded me of that, his signature move of the kind of sudden zoom. And what and what is the plot of Tale of Cinema? It's a young man kind of wandering around in Seoul, and he runs into an old school friend of his, and it seems that he's dropped out of school. They both have dropped out of school. They haven't seen each other, and they make a plan to meet up and get uh dinner later. They're probably like just out of college or like college kids. And then so they go get dinner and get incredibly drunk and then they make a suicide pact and then they wander off together into the night to a hotel. They kind of stay in the hotel. There's some like uh, explicit and failed attempts at sexual intercourse. And then <laughs> oh, and so then so then they they attempt to commit suicide and uh they fail they take a bunch of sleeping pills but then it so this this goes on it's very dramatic that son gets picked up by his by like his uncle and taken back to his parents house and his mom is very angry at him and then he threatens to throw himself off of the roof of their apartment building and then it cuts and that's and you realize that you were watching a kind of a film within a film and then the film kind of plays out that same film within a film kind of plays out in a different way the same plot um more or less with different characters like this this kind of failed filmmaker who was watching this uh, short film, he he uh, kind of assumes the role of this younger man, and so like a lot of Hong movies, it's sort of this uh, nested narrative. Um, and it's a very mysterious movie, and uh, it's one of the few. It's one of the few Hong movies I hadn't seen. And it comes from a period of, I think, that uh, where his movies were kind of serious mm. or less uh, less of the kind of lighthearted, uh, yeah, wry kind of dad humor, you know, where like people kind of like fumble and do each other. There's really <laughs> not much of that. It's more of, but you can see it. You can see that kind of beginning in this film. It's much more akin to like a, a turning gate. Mm. Um, this... The character is a very disturbed, the main character, the filmmaker, the failed filmmaker is kind of a disturbed and almost mentally ill person who's wandering throughout Seoul and just kind of interacting with his, uh, with his former classmates and an actress, the actress, he runs into the actress from this movie that he saw and plays out the film kind of with her again. And it's, it seems to be, you know, about a person living their life through cinema um, and, you know, it is a tale of cinema. <laughs> in short, truth and advertising. So the title was good. So I have to say, it was like probably one of the, it was accurately named. It was one of the more accurately named <laughs> films that I've seen lately. That's Although a, I did watch Dune, and Dune is definitely very accurately named because there's a lot of dunes in it. <laughs> this is a new way of rating movies.
2: Well, so, guess what? I saw matrix and it has a matrix in it yeah
1: it does that's pretty good Had had you seen matrix before
2: yes yes of course i've seen it before but i hadn't seen it in like several years um and i mean you know it's the kind of movie that's so kind of like pervasive in pop culture and there was the fourth installment that was being i think uh that was under like that was being shot and then they had to stall production because of the COVID closures. Um, But it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of always around in memes and just sort of internet movie culture. And recently I was reading some essays about digital media, you know, since we're kind of living in this digital media intensive world now. And I was just noticing how, people are still sort of referencing that as the touchstone for all kinds of thinking about new media culture and so it just feels like you know it's it just feels um even more than a touchstone i don't know it just it, it continues to be sort of everywhere in in the cultural memory and so somehow i never got around to like rewatching it because it never felt like i needed to um but then you know i was just just craving something that was kinetic. I've I've said this to you guys before. Sometimes I just want to see, watch something that moves. Um, and so we decided to watch it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm not saying anything new, but just, again, amazed by how well it holds up, how prescient it seems, but also how stylish it is. Like, I, I, I don't know, some, especially for like a 90s movie about cyberculture, the kind of sexiness and the fashion and kind of the look of it all just holds up so well. No one's really done it like that, I feel. Uh, everything from, um, what's her name? What's the actress? Carrie
1: character? Ann something. Moss. Moss.
2: Carrie Ann oh, yeah, Moss. Yeah. yeah, Carrie Ann Moss's character, you know, her patent leather... Um, like long patent leather jacket. And of course, Keanu Reeves is Neo with, you know, they're just kind of walking around in these sleek. And Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. yeah, And Lawrence Fishburne is Morpheus and they're all wearing those tiny, (laughs) tiny sunglasses. What?
1: Tiny sunglasses. No, it's just like, Hey, could you imagine a cooler thing than just (laughs) the matrix crew? rolling up with I mean, tiny sunglasses
2: look that tiny those tiny sunglasses have been like the trend this last year and the matrix was, was doing it like a decade like two decades ago it's pretty impressive
0: you know i have to jump in here and say that uh um, the brennan character in salesman also has a good pair of sunglasses
2: that is Are they true
1: tiny?
0: what's that are they tiny, though? They are fairly. I remember them being fairly snug and and stylish. Um, so, oh uh,
2: please, they're not as pretty stylish. Pretty
0: but here I, I I do have a little rant about the sunglasses in 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 um in the Matrix because I I I did watch this movie more than once when it came out, um, mm. and I enjoyed it and and saw it again somewhat fairly recently as well, actually. And but what always bothered me about the sunglasses um, is. That I felt like they really dehumanized everyone because they made them they they took out that kind of the you know the the emotional appeal of people's eyes basically and I and the that the, and that paired with what did s- sort of surprise me not really but was the the vi- just how violent it was and and how. Um, Uh, you know, inconsequential the the, the violence was. It was, it was, it's It's so purely like, you know, John Woo um, purely aesthetic um, um, violence, you know, just, I mean, just the, I mean, the hundreds of thousands of bullets, it's obviously absurd and ridiculous, but also flip side of that is I do get, you know, uh, it does make me feel a little, I don't know, uncomfortable just the unreality of it. But of course, since the whole movie is flipping between real and unreal.
2: Right. I mean, I totally get what you're saying about the recklessness of the destruction. Uh, That's something that definitely caught my eye because it's, that is the norm in so much of kind of contemporary blockbuster cinema, you know, superhero movies or just like big action movies. There's just like cities getting destroyed just in the background of things. Mm -hmm. And, we we become really numb to it because it's you know the stakes of the these movies and their plots seem to sort of disregard that sort of violence as necessary or inconsequential and it it did kind of strike me how i i mean i don't think this movie like kind of was necessarily started it um but Th- this kind of aestheticization of it and making it look just so impossibly cool. I mean, that last um, sort of fight sequence where uh, Neo and and Carrie Anne Moss's character they're um, infiltrating this tall uh, skyscraper, where Agent Smith has um, is is interrogating Morpheus, and you know it, it's it's awesome to watch. But every time they just brought down like a whole wall or, you know, just like knocked down some pillars or just did like five somersaults in the air, it was like, it's so obviously gratuitous, right? Like you don't need to do a cartwheel to shoot a bullet. It's just something so interesting about that. Like it feels so ridiculous, but also the movie much more so than the more contemporary examples I'm thinking of, is so like self-aware about all the all this being style like all this being this kind of pure aestheticization yeah, i don't you know it's, think it's of just the like part. it's so sensuous i mean i i really thought like this movie is like incredibly sexy and i didn't know how to yeah how to kind of reconcile that with the fact that it's really violent and i mean i think the dehumanization aspect is you know, I don't want this podcast to become us, like, theorizing the Matrix, because that sounds like something we should have done on 420. But, um, you know, I it is...
1: <laughs> oh, wait, we missed 420?
2: <laughs> but, you know, I think it is kind of blurring the boundaries between the, like, hero or, or the good characters and then these robotic, non-human characters who also wear sunglasses. So... I think that movie is really kind of exploring, you know, the yeah, the cult of cyborg culture of of in or non-human uh, techno human. I think it's aesthetics. also. <laughs>
1: I mean, I also think it's about this fantasy of like uh, being freed from physical limitations by the by technology. So, like, you know, there if you can like just. Do whatever you want with your mind with because you're in the matrix then like you would definitely be like flipping around and just you know
2: that's people, true yeah you
1: know, blowing yeah. away your enemies with like the most panache that you could muster like the highest the highest level of the highest style
2: yeah right because um, if it materially does not matter it actually does get reduced to just you know visuals and and style and movement like performance
1: yeah, which is what I never quite like. When the I I remember like the sequels never like quite added up how he was like going to be the prophet. I don't know the the plot didn't quite. I because then in real in the in reality, like he was learning all these skills in this digital matrix world, but um, was he just? I mean, becoming it's becoming like basic... a very fat guy and like sitting in a, like a couch somewhere. In reality, or what was happening.
0: <laughs> that sounds like Trump talking about the the hackers during oh, the yes, election the ha- yeah <laughs> um, I yeah. Mean, yeah i mean it's it's
1: i mean it's it's All one right, of I, those I, I, it's also not very interesting to poke holes in the plot of this yeah, I was about Sorry. to say it's
2: a pretty basic like he's a chosen one, you know it's yeah, a yeah. very basic um fantasy sci fi it's kind the, of it's quest yeah. quest awesome. kind of plot um I think it's it's more notable for. I mean, a this very much like, dude. What if we were all in a matrix kind of thing? Which <laughs> I think it's sort of managed to do, sort of rigorously over the course of a really entertaining, yeah. I'm and not like criticizing solid movie. I'm,
1: I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to criticize it. I'm trying to actually say that I think that that's like an interesting thing. That it's that that stylization is kind of a product of this um, this idea of like total freedom from the limits of of uh the physical right. right yeah no that's which is which sure. is like one reason it's so beautiful to watch, yeah like it's as if you're it's, it's as if your body could react to whatever your imagination could come up with, yeah, and your and i mean the, I think I remember watching that when I came out, and it was very uh, and,
2: and I mean, it's beautifully choreographed all of the action it's you and know, who has... can
1: forget the the classic line. Whoa! Or oh, sorry, I was far away from the mic. Whoa! No, nobody remembers that <laughs> classic line. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> perhaps I ought to just call it a day. For- <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I,
2: we we also tried to follow uh, that up because we were just in a mood. We saw the Matrix and like, oh, let's watch Terminator next. And I just couldn't get through more than twenty minutes.
0: Oh. I can go on about Terminator, but I won't. I have not seen <laughs> Nick, it You recently. are like
2: playing a type. You're like, you know, the Matrix. It may be cool for you kids, but what about all the violence? <laughs>
0: What type is that? A type that cares for your well-being. Is that the type I am? Then I'm proud to be that type. Yeah. Well, the only thing I wanted to add to, to to the to the Matrix discussion is just that it's funny that such a vividly stylized movie. I mean, it's just as both of you were describing. It's it come comes out of this moment when the internet really has, you know, ninety nine. Uh, you know, it's kind of it was breaking into, into the world economy with with like startups and everything and and yet still was this weirdly un not totally figured not totally visualized thing um and it's it feels like it's you know uh, no there's no accident to to that connection and that i mean that's something i'm thinking of all the time now is how um you know how current events what's going on now will will people figure in terms of the imagination or, or, or not Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say we don't, we don't have to go down that speculative route, but I just
1: want to, I always, I always think when you mentioned 1999, I always think of the matrix in, uh, relation to two other movies that I think came out around the same time, which are event horizon and AI. And these three Uh movies are like these kind of like both, like these were the three movies that scared me i was scared like the matrix like kind of it was like just like an adolescent like whoa that's crazy like what if everything was a was a computer matrix
2: oh for sure yeah i mean i think actually like at that age especially going down the movie's rabbit holes was like you know genuinely chilling Like, it's and kind this, of
1: the vision of the this dystopian uh urban landscape at the beginning that 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 they live in it's just so it was so depressing
2: it's so depressing <laughs> yeah for sure it's so like sanitized and just colorless and... which
1: so right after that comes the ai that which is just like even to me that is just like one of the scariest movies i don't know why that movie oh, just sure. yeah it's is just mm-hmm. very uh looms large in my in my imagination
0: yeah i mean it in some ways gets down to to gets down to brass tacks in a way that the Matrix kind of cannot, basically.
2: I'm kind of wondering... We've been talking about this a little bit, about how everything is cinema kind of now, because we're accessing all kinds of different experiences that we tend to do in person through live streams or videos, um, or everything is media, but, you know, mm-hmm. us being film critics, we can call it cinema. Um, I, is, is there are there certain things that you're doing in that way that are not movies per se, but have become screen based for you? And uh, I'm just curious how, if you've been reflecting on that experience at all. I
1: have Nick.
0: Uh, I haven't thought about it. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Nick's
1: been hand cranking a, uh, Thirty-five millimeter projector in his living
0: room. <laughs> yeah, basically, I've been just going back to the, you know, going back to the land, churning butter, you know, <laughs> trying to get away from these. But
2: you pictograms. know, like people are
1: doing Zoom weddings, people are, are doing pictographs, cinema. That's the question. The next <laughs> <laughs> hieroglyphs. Yeah.
0: No, I mean it's true. I mean, I, I have I definitely been coming to mind because. The, the way things are, it feels like everything's been made concrete. All the things we worry about: oh, are we on our phones too much? Is our world too mediated? A lot of things that were theoretical right. or partly theoretical, um, or you know, we were always projecting to the future: what would happen if we continued this way? You know, now suddenly, yeah, as you're saying, so much occurs on, much more occurs on screen, and there's no other choice. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, like a strange kind of thought experiment that is actually happening.
2: And, And, you know, everything is subject to these aesthetic conditions too. like, you know, uh, whether you're working from home and you have to call into a meeting or you're I mean, I've been doing these live yoga classes and, uh, you know, I can see like some of the instructors putting in all this effort into lighting. Right. Because in order for it to be a good and accessible experience, it actually has to be a good image um, I don't know, and of course, like you were saying nick this this is kind of how we people were already talking about society um, and it's just like literalized the hyperbole and you know this sense that the sense that it was all absolute has now become a real thing.
1: Well, I think that we also don't want we also want to remember that we have nothing to compare it to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like i this is the only way that we've lived. As far as we, you know, through something like this, anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I just feel like I'm living like a lot of people were already living to a certain extent. If, if there's something to compare it to, it's the last time there was a serious economic, you know, recession, um, or um, and, you know, that's that. That can also, you know, pe- people people lose jobs, people have to make terrible choices that they didn't have to before, and anyone who is in any right. marginal situation, it's immediately apparent how how terrible and unjust and, and and precarious that is.
1: Sure. I I mean, I think that that's definitely true. I think, I think I'm talking more about the idea of the, uh, uh, this hyper connectivity and kind of, uh, constant, constantly, constantly, constant communication, even in isolation, um, is something that, that didn't exist, you know, obviously until recently. And it would, you know, who's to say how how effective any kind of lockdown would be in a world where people weren't able to immediately look at their phone and know what the news was and know that they should stay at home i was you know the i saw a headline mm. that said that every uh, most people started staying home before any of the uh stay at home orders went into effect and they did that because they were like reading the news a lot or watching the news on tv or checking their phone so cin- cinema might become something that's like uh, almost a uh, a less direct form of communication, I guess, or a more oblique form of communication through media. If we're constantly meeting and having conversations on zoom and experiencing each, like the world this way, perhaps like watching something, a story or, you
2: know, Yeah, it'll become distinct in its own way. I am interested in thinking about like when we consume everything in mediated ways, there's um, aesthetic and formal considerations that go into consuming the experience Mm -hmm. that we're not constantly confronted with when life was normal. Um, It's not that... that wasn't the case already for for many of the ways in which we were already experiencing things via screens. But I I just wonder how that is going to affect how we start to discern things even.
1: Sounds like the beginnings of a great sci-fi novel. Well, especially since you don't really know. Or a bad one, a bad sci-fi novel.
2: (laughs) Sounds like, or more accurately.
0: (laughs) A terrible sci-fi novel. (laughs) yeah well, I had a couple of movies that came to mind just to to kind of branch off a little bit. I mean one is just in terms of this the the idea of forming on the fly a new way of life, which is where all of us are kind of right now at the same time that we're also questioning perhaps the systems that we that we we take for granted um many people have already been doing that for centuries but because uh, another movie I saw was uh the day trippers nineteen ninety six um you know, just another era of, uh, independent movies. Um, um, but that was a movie watching it. I also felt, felt like another world, um, because they, you know, it's uh, the the plot in case anyone doesn't know it's, you know, a a woman suspects her husband who, uh, goes into the New York to, to, to work. Uh, is actually having an affair. So she, along with her parents, sister and sisters, uh, partner, go into New York and sort of try to track him down and and figure out what he's what what the possibly philandering husband is up to, and just all of it. Just it, I mean, it's kind of in a subgenre of like the wandering around New York trying to figure things out that like like Bye Bye Braverman or something or um, I don't know, think of something else like like that. Um, you know, just people. Driving around, walking around New York, and, and, and going in, into what were then very New York settings, such as the highly desirable publishing party. Um, uh,
1: but uh, yeah, who's who's? I have no memory of that movie. I remember when it I came out, and, it. and I oh really? And yeah. I, is Parker is that Parker yeah. Posey? Yeah,
0: yeah. the okay. the um, I want to say uh, yeah, Parker Posey plays the 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 sister of the woman who's who believes her husband is che- is cheating um and her that's hope davis i want to say and uh stanley tucci is 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 the husband um and but yeah that's that's the day trippers folks lots of drive around new york it's very nice period piece before another soho in another world
1: and there you have it that that sounds like a good one Thanks it's for a, the tip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's also Campbell Scott in it. I began to think about Campbell Scott. He suddenly struck me watching him, and he plays this, like, you know, very smooth talking um, author, uh, another kind of dearly departed type on screen, um, who is somehow like a lady killer and is just, uh, walking around a kind of shabby blazer or whatever. Um, But you know he has the Campbell Scott voice, just this very kind of smooth sort of voice, and I began to wonder if Campbell Scott, who is the son of George C. Scott,
1: right, which is which
0: is so totally different voice, like
1: he looks also looks completely different. I Eh, I think you see it. I I could (laughs) never see it.
0: I see. I well, Campbell Scott is kind of like he was hewn out of the rock that was George C. Scott, and and you could you could like you could like carve out three or four Campbell Scott's out of George C. Scott. Um, just what is... Anyway, the I'm point is but... he's just like, a, he's like a, an, a, what a is thin. This aside. I, I wasn't commenting on either of their weight, more just the monumentality of George C. Scott and George C. Scott famously that kind of, you know, gravelly voice. I, I yeah. started to wonder if Campbell Scott had done his smooth voice in sort of a, you know, over overreaction pushback that um, yeah the, uh, he cultivates his individuality the anxiety of it of influence yes exactly that's so that's that's where day trippers took me
1: huh.
2: hmm.
1: um that may reminds, i I recently watched uh the day of the dolphin oh, the, yeah. which <laughs> with, with George D. Scott which yeah. is a it totally bonkers movie um directed by Mike Nichols directed by Mike Nichols about George C. Scott is a dolphin scientist doing secret ex- experiments on an island located somewhere in like the Florida Keys. Uh, who's like an internationally renowned dolphin expert. Who's a real like bad boy of the dolphin science world. <laughs> like he just, he just doesn't, he, he goes to like a conference and just kind of like sloughs people off and just doesn't really uh, give a fuck about anything. And he Gets and somehow, like the CIA catches on to his experiments, which are. I don't know if I'm spoiling. Can I spoil?
0: I think you'd actually be saving a lot of people because I, I found that movie pretty, I don't know, rough, rough going. Like Curiosity. It. Yeah, oh, I think it's, I'm, this I, is a movie made
2: in the 70s. Please go ahead and spoil <laughs> it. Hey, we
1: did everything hear- is, there is no, there is no, yeah, there is no uh, new movies anymore. It's all, everything is contemporary, right?
2: Exactly. So everything. Is okay, spoiled. I'll spoil it. Guess yeah. what he's
1: treat. Just guess. First of all, guess what he's doing to the dolphins. Not doing um, to them. Teaching, teaching them language. That's Dancing. right. He's teaching them to speak. He's oh. teaching his his son. He also has this weird father son relationship with the dolphin. He's teaching him to speak, and it is truly one of the weirder things I've <laughs> seen in in a like a. A-level Hollywood movie is the dolphin speaking.
2: <laughs> this is, this is I, reminding I, I me I'm, of that video Nick sent me uh, while we were working the other day with, what was that, Baby Movie?
1: Oh, yeah, Baby Geniuses.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: Well, this, I, I mean... Day of the Sorry, Dolphin. Sorry,
2: just I was just reminded because I found all the
1: um... I'm talking about Day of the Dolphin here. Okay. So don't interrupt. Oh, no, God. It's okay. Go, go, go. Sorry.
2: I was just gonna say that I all the scenes of the babies talking in those in that trailer were <laughs> incredibly unsettling and you know, there was this mismatch between their lip syncing and the words that were being pronounced far too eloquently for babies of that size. <laughs> um, and I don't know the distance. as
1: opposed to your <laughs> slightly larger babies who are known for their eloquence.
2: It it was just it was like I, I imagine it was similar to watching a dolphin trying to talk on screen.
1: I mean, there's only one way to find out, and that's to watch the Day of the Dolphin, <laughs> 1973.
2: But that's like film comment selects <laughs> Day, Day of the, of the dolphin. dolphin baby also, geniuses. I, I Day of the Dolphin is I
1: liked it. I'm not going to lie. Oh, it's also a, a screenplay by Buck Henry, which is, I think, why I watched it.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. It, it, it's it strikes me as it comes from this period of which never, I mean, I, I mean, didn't end for a while of kind of fascination with with the, the sexiness of like high scientific premises you know and, right, and the right. high stakes mm. of it like i mean not to talk about fail safe again but that's definitely like one of those where where science is an issue and like you know like technology isn't an, is an issue and i don't know I...
1: yeah where like oh, the sure, where yeah. like the real heroes are this sci- are these sciences like kind of yeah yeah and then there's Anti-hero a kind of hero scientists
0: yeah and and there's a kind of veneer to it that in some ways has a lot to do with um you know magazines I think You know the cover story I mean Day of the Dolphin Is like kind of a cover story Type grabber of an idea Oh
1: and like well one of the plot lines is that up the uh, This guy Shows up he's like a CIA agent But he's pretending to be a news uh, uh, Reporter For a time magazine or something and he wants To write a big profile and he's like very He's just asking too many questions But yeah, yeah that's like a big part of it he wants this big cover Story and, and George C. E. Scott's Character is like you know doesn't want any any press at all yeah it's really against it control the you know
2: message. what um yeah exactly this reminds me of something that i watched a little bit of recently tiger king
1: oh now we're gonna now we're <laughs> into the hit this is a hit podcast <laughs> <laughs>
2: hashtag tiger king
1: <laughs> and what did you um, think
2: did you guys have you guys seen any of it? I I, no.
0: I, I had have, have avoided it. I tried to watch a little bit, but I just, you know. Yeah. I, I got my own two tigers know. around the house. I don't I don't need I don't need these these showboating tigers on TV.
2: I mean, I just watched two episodes and it's so off-putting. And honestly, what put me off at first was not really the ethical concerns. I mean, which are There are many. Um,
1: I don't. Can you tell me what the story is? Because I actually, I've people have told me to watch it, but nobody. I don't actually know what it's about.
2: um, Okay, so I'm going to do kind of a very crude summary because I only saw a little bit, but it's It's true uh, crime, right? It is true crime. It's about um, this guy called Joe Exotic who breeds tigers and lions and ligers. In this exotic animal park in Oklahoma. And it's it's about this, like, I mean, it, it just gets so, so much, so rid- like progressively ridiculous that I don't even know how to summarize what this thing is about. But it's him. And then there's um, this lady that he has a kind of uh, long standing like beef with named Carol Baskin who runs. A sort of like sanctuary, uh, an accredited zoo, um, and she rescues tigers and these creatures from exotic breeders like Joe Exotic, and basically like gives them a home uh, in her park. And so, it's about the two of them. It's about the long-standing feuds between the two of them, and also about the like broader world of exotic animal and spe- specifically tiger breeding, and there's like so much nefarious stuff that happens within this world and at their respective parks. I mean, Joe Exotic, he has like two husbands who at some point it's sort of revealed that they were not really gay and the, you know, they were like dependent on him for drugs. And there's, there's some of these um, breeders have very cult like environments. Like one Mm. of them, from what I remember, he's just referred to as the doctor. And he has all these women working for free on his campus who are also his partners. And they have these weird Sanskrit names. And they all kind of came and joined when they were sort of young uh, and teenagers. And they've just lived on. And I, I don't know, you know, it, I, that's kind of what I could glean from the couple episodes I watched. But that's. Did you watch them? Um, does that paint a picture? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you watch um, Wild Wild Country?
2: No, I haven't. Though that has been recommended to me, and I, 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 I would not recommend imagine... it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, th-
1: I mean, this—that's why I think I'm resistant to watching this. Um, but you can tell. Uh, what's your cinematic take on?
2: Well, so you know, obviously, from a reporting documentary filmmaking point of view, um, and just like ethical point of view, there's a lot wrong with the series. But the thing is, you know, from a cinematic point of view, all that is so immediately telegraphed, just even if you watch just a few scenes, what put me off off at first is just, you know, this kind of very like cliche music cues. I mean, which is all part of just television and reality television, but all these like Expose scenes and these reenactments. I mean, there's tons of reenactments and there's reenactments of things that you don't need reenactments for. Like, you know what, you know, it's just like someone recalls like going into a room and there's just like a cereal. (laughs) It's just, there's just a reenactment of someone walking into a room and it's like, we know what a room looks like. You know, I don't need a demonstration. I mean, maybe they think like now we're all indoors and we need to be reminded what life looks like, but there's just like, reenactments of every single thing and there's i think
1: it's a desire to stretch out the story to to stretch out something that should be a one film yep exactly
2: right and it's adapted from a book and from basically from the the origin was an investigative journalism piece and it's kind of this very uninspired way of you know uh, trying to turn journalism into television without really breaching any new ground um and so for me it's like i don't even have to watch i didn't even have to watch more of it to really like get to why this (laughs) people have been saying it's shady and it makes all these conclusions and it kind of glosses over a lot of the abuse that's at the heart of the series and i mean netflix did a so this guy is now in jail because he was convicted of a variety of things including you know including exotic breeding but also of a plot to murder that woman
1: You're that
2: right. he's feuding with and netflix did like an interview with him in jail as part of this like promotional the promotional you know it's just, some, media it's just for a this.
1: sleazy sensationalist thing, right
2: which and even kind of talking about fun. it makes me feel kind of icky but hey, that's the thing it wasn't fun i will admit I sunk to pretty low depths these last few weeks. When we started this series, I said I, had, I was watching Gossip Girl. You know what else I watched? Love is Blind. A Netflix show called Love is Blind, I don't which know is, is about is. people who have to sit in a room uh, and talk to each other through the wall, and they can't see each other. And then they have to marry each other. What? Without seeing each other. Marry each other? Each other? Yes. How,
1: is, this, is this legal? <laughs> Wait, it's about forced <laughs> it's- marriages?
2: no not forced like they sign up to be on this reality show
1: it's paid marriages nick oh yes sorry oh okay that's all right that's fine they
2: do these dates through and then they can like they they're the idea is like you you propose to someone without having seen them and so then they get engaged and then the show follows them and they have like one month to spend with each other, or three weeks, or something like that before they get married. It
0: sounds and it's like it's
2: kind of like a game to see how many of them end up married. It
0: sounds like if, if like a child heard the phrase love is blind and then started making up from that what they thought marriage was about, they would describe that. <laughs> basically,
2: that is so accurate. And the whole show is like them, everyone talking about how the show's designed. To test whether love is truly blind, whether, you know, you can uh, you can explore deep <laughs> emotional connection with, connections with people without seeing them. And it's like, oh, my God, all of this. No- Someone sat down and wrote all of this nonsense just to make this dating show, you know. <laughs> all of this, like, Hallmark card nonsense. Anyway, the point so- being that I watched something as stupid as that. So so you need intervention
0: (laughs) yeah we need to send you criterion collection something i mean
1: yeah i think that (laughs) tiger king and like wild wild country are just like whatever like i would watch something about i would watch something about both of those topics my my problem with both with wild wild country was that like every episode was an hour and a half long and like Everything was so drawn out and so telegraphed. I was just like, right. "Get to the point!" Like, you've interviewed seven people who have like clearly indicated that this is the next domino to fall. Just like, <laughs> let the domino fall. Like, let it fall. We don't need more. Like, so it takes, you know, five episodes to even establish like what the story is that you're supposed to be interested in. It's just it, uh, it was a, it was unwatchable.
0: Uh, the one thing I'll say about the ti- about Tiger King is that it made me remember this movie, Roar. Do you? Do you I don't know if you've seen this, but it, it, for some, it got like a no. small like like revival re release like of I don't know a few years ago. Roar um, stars Tippi Hedren and her daughter Melanie Griffith. Um, uh, I do remember this. And I do. Yeah. It's just, just it's. I mean, it's, in its own way, it's probably just as like reckless. But the very loose story is that their family, a family comes home, comes to like a, to live or I don't know, lodge at a, at a, at a lodge in, in, in the, the heart of uh, in the heart of Africa. I can't remember the exact country. It's not important because the whole movie is completely nonsensical, uh, but unfortunately it's been totally. it's the, the, the lodge, the building has been totally taken over by lions and tigers and, uh, old manner of wildlife so <laughs> most of the movie is basically them just trying to fend off lions that really just look like they were let loose to roam and um and in but fact isn't
1: yeah the story is right yeah yeah, that yeah the they st-
0: were right they were yeah Melanie Griffiths like was almost like was like bitten badly and and they all <laughs> suffered some kind wow. of injury or indignity from this but it's one of the strangest movies you've seen because it's it's like any it's 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 like it's like spending an hour at the zoo or something just watching animals just wander around and I don't know it it reminds me I mean and and just like play because their their cats are starting and then also just destroy things and 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 just go rip shit on this this you know bizarre um, house and and it reminds me of this Douglas Sirk quote um, that he's like. About that, you know, you you try to film a horse and the horse, it doesn't really care that you're filming them, you know, like it's doesn't, they're, they're, the horse is just like, fuck you, I'm a horse. Um, and, and that's kind of the same thing uh, with these lions. They're just like, whatever. And, and that includes the actors. So, yeah, I did think of Roar, at least, it gave me a, a moment of, of, I don't know what,
1: pleasure such as it is. Well, guys, <laughs> On that note, anything else we want to talk about here?
2: I will just say that I also saw Zombie Child recently. Just oh, so people don't discourse. think I'm just you know. <laughs> quick, quick, elevate I the have discourse. No it's listing.
0: <laughs> I also yeah, and uh, yeah, I also I saw Decalogue. So you know, it's it's really um, respectable.
1: I've just been watching <laughs> YouTube videos of cats.
2: That is the most respectable. Okay. That-
0: it is yes, The bedrock of civilization. Well, uh, I think we've um, we've logged our, our time on the podcast circuit um, for this episode. So I, I don't know unless anyone has any 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 thoughts about cinema they want to share at this point. Otherwise, we might just r- <laughs> um, wrap up there. But thank you for listening for another film comment podcast at home and. Thank you, Clint and Devika. Right, what are you going to be planning to watch next?
1: I really want to watch this movie that no one will watch with me, um, called Hearts of Fire from 1987. Oh, okay. It is supposed to be very bad, <laughs> because, uh, written by Joe Esterhaus. Wow. Yeah, um, and that's what I'm going to watch. I'm going to, tr- or I'm going to really try hard to get everybody around me to watch that because I, I don't totally control the remote control in this house? <laughs>
2: okay. Well, I'm going to watch um, something by Love Diaz and then Godard and, <laughs> okay. you know, nice. revisit very some nice. classic um, Hollywood and, you know, some maybe some avant-garde cinema. Maybe I'll <laughs> revisit Wavelength. You know, being a cinephile with very <laughs> excellent taste. Um, yeah. I will be watching the most rigorous and esteemed films held henceforth.
1: The finest. Oh, I also, on Canopy, uh, there's a ton of less blank films that I haven't seen. Oh, that's a great thing to watch now. That I are just it. like, yeah, that are yeah. That are not on uh, the Criterion Collection, so I'm excited to watch those.
0: Yeah, those those are some of my absolute favorites. There's nothing quite like the life in a less blank movie. I will muddle along through the, the Decalogue's moral quandaries and... Um, Probably also watch um, something really trashy. Well, I guess I'll leave it there. So, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Good night, everybody.
2: Good night.
1: Good
0: night. You've been listening to the Film Comment podcast with music by Greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.